You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about Mike Grella, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian. With me, as always, man, I've nominated for eight different end-of-season podcasting awards. It's Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. Well, I mean, we put ourselves in for those eight. Um, we'll, see, we'll see what comes of them. It's really nice just to be nominated, though. I feel like... We can nominate ourselves. I feel like... Uh, I'm not sure if what I was doing was being extremely rude or if it was just pointing out something that bothers me literally every year when this happens, that someone's like, it's incredible. We had three people nominated for MVP. It's like, your team nominated them. Do you not understand that? Right. (laughs) Yeah. It has no meaning whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Orlando nominated Dom Dwyer. He's not winning. Montreal nominated Samuel Piet. It's not happening. (laughs) Like it doesn't, it's not that big of an honor. Um, now, in the case of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, which is the one that, that I referred to today on Twitter, you know, obviously, it's a deserving nominee. But nonetheless, let's get real, people. Let's get real. Um, we've got a big show for you today. News, as always, lots to talk about there. Then we're going to continue our deep dive playoff series in the East. Columbus crew, who have been saved, maybe, I think. Yeah, we're, we're going with saved. Probably. Probably saved. And in the West, the Seattle Sounders. So turn this podcast off, Drew. Um, let's start with some of the news. Uh, Harrison, you wrote this rundown here for me. And I see that Ignacio Piatti is headed back to San Lorenzo this offseason. That's that, that's the scuttlebutt uh, that was came up. He said he wanted to retire in San uh, Lorenzo. He's, what, 33, 34? Um, and then he went on the next morning and said, well, not so fast. Um, I'm probably coming back next year. So, how much longer is he going to stay in Montreal? I don't. I, I don't really know. It seems like that would be a really time sensitive. Yeah, he's he's been doing this song and dance for a couple of years now. He's sort of been hinting that he may like to return to Argentina before the end of his career. And I certainly do not begrudge him or any player that that desire to head back to their homeland. Uh, to finish up with the with their former club, if that's what they choose to do, um, obviously this would be a pretty significant loss for Montreal. I'd say um, it seems like they'd have to kind of change. Well, and, and I say they're going to have to, but they already kind of are changing the dynamic of for years, and really since Piotti kind of showed up and kind of predating him with Marco DeVaio, they've been a counterattacking team. They've basically been a counterattacking team since uh, USL days. I mean, it's really uh, USL. They were USL, yeah. Um, so, I mean, that just, it feels like they're going to have to change. And really this year, they've kind of started to evolve and play a little bit more possession-oriented uh, style of play, which has kind of also been why they've, uh, gone and grabbed some of the players that they've 
that they have. But uh, I, obviously, they're going to need to make some splashes. And this coming on the heels of, you know, uh, word coming out of the front office that they've been losing $11 million annually. Yeah, that... It's a that, lot of money, like to me, like that's yeah. We don't know. I mean, Saputo is obviously a very wealthy man, so maybe it's not as you know detrimental. I don't think he's in you know dire straits needing to sell the team. Or anything I've heard like it's that. about uh, it's about two percent or a cup of coffee to us. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what I've heard. <laughs> I've heard that too. I'm not sure about that. The um, uh, it's funny because I do remember uh, earlier this year. I think um, you know, uh, Saputo was saying that that. They had kind of gotten to a place where he would be willing to listen to offers for Piotti because he was going to lose a lot of money regardless, and this team didn't look like it was going to actually write itself and be like an actual force uh, late in the season, like it turned out to be. You know, they made you know a good run here, so um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that factors in. If he's just looking kind of at his bottom line right now, going like, "Why am I spending all this money on this luxury player if it's not turning around and bringing me the success I want?" Well, I think it, it losing Piotti hurts uh, almost uh, twofold because uh, Justin Vargas really has not panned out. He he had some really bright spots early on in the season, but the the underlying numbers were never kind of there. And with that, he never really regained playing time. He hasn't started since May. He's had a couple of uh, subs. Um, here and there, spot uh, subs coming in late in games. But besides that, he really hasn't been impacting. And you have to kind of wonder if they, it's just they're going to have to not just take, I don't want to say take a bath on Piotti, but, I mean, really they're not going to be reimbursed what they're what they're losing in Piotti. And then to kind of have to probably part ways with Vargas in the offseason as well, it feels like a two a twofer kind of um, it kind of sucks. They're they're definitely going to have to figure out what they're going to do there on the wings. Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely an interesting team situation, and it has been for a couple of years. They're just sort of always kind of feel like they're in flux with I don't know. Feels like they kind of paper over cracks pretty well, um, but you know, then come the end of the year, like the, the leaks spring again, and, and and they don't get fixed for a while. So. Uh, I, I think it's a good organization. I think there there's some there is some good talent there, obviously. Um I think this could be a successful team and I think that Joe Sputo, you know, has shown himself willing to spend money. I mean, even though he's losing it and it might frustrate him, like he he's not afraid to spend it. Um this could be a good franchise and maybe uh, you know, a change from Piotti and making that kind of like a different focal point going forward might be what they need. I don't know. I'd I'd never want to see any any team have to give up Piotti, but but I think that uh you know, it, it just might be the best for all the parties involved at this point. Well, I mean, Sapoto has money because he has to pay new coaches every year, so. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And speaking of coaches, uh, USL News, Harrison, on our rundown. Can you believe this? Of course yeah, you I don't, can. Yeah, I don't usually, uh, I usually don't do that. This is too hilarious. Uh, Las Vegas Lights have appointed Eric Wynalda to be head coach. I don't... <sighs> I've said this on Twitter, so if you follow me on Twitter, I apologize for repeating myself, but in a lot of ways, Las Vegas is sort of like the quintessential American soccer club. Like, they're the most American version of a professional soccer club that I've ever seen. And they're weird, and they're quirky, and they do strange things, and they've got llamas, and... um, 
I don't know. They would be a really interesting team to be a fan of, to follow, because they just seem like very Las Vegas either. There's just like a lot of flash and a lot of show going on around them. Um, uh, <laughs> Eric Wine, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't. Personally, I don't like Eric Wine all like as, as a personality, um, or his shtick as I've seen on television or, um, you know, his radio show or on Twitter. Uh, but you know, I, I don't know much about him as a coach, so maybe maybe he's uh, he's he's as bright as he claims to be. Um, maybe I don't. Uh, yeah, it it feels like more flash. That's that's exactly. I think that's a really good way of saying it. Um, so in the news, it says that they appointed him. Like, yeah. Can, can we just appoint people? Like, is that is that like hiring people, or can you just appoint them and they have to do it? I think. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I appoint. Um. Tata Martina to be like on this podcast next week. Oh, done. Yep, has to has to happen. Has to happen. Uh, you've been appointed, sir. Uh, yeah, they do say that when they when they hire people. So I think that's that. Um, more coaching stuff. United States men's national team. Speaking of Tata Martino, um, where are we at with this, Harrison? Can you give us can you give us a rundown of your understanding of where we are at this at this point? So uh, it was understood last month that kind of the the, the groundwork was at, and the criteria was kind of being put out as far as who specifically Ernie Stewart was looking to hire, right? Like the the kind of the basic skeleton of, hey, we want to hire this type of person, you know? Um, we want them to be English speaking. We want them to have familiarity within the U.S. Uh, soccer landscape. Uh, really vague, overarching themes. And, and I don't know why, but it seems to kind of have sprung up the last couple of days. And it's probably specifically because uh, it looks like Tata Martino is possibly, probably headed to Mexico to coach the men's uh, Mexican national team, which, uh, look, the fact that he wasn't considered seems like a really big uh, misstep from the U.S. side of the house because simply it, he's a really good coach. He has an amazing pedigree. And for what we understand back, he's missing he, – he didn't check the right boxes because he's not an English-speaking coach. And this seems – when you put yourself in that type of box as an organization – you, I don't, I don't have any opinion whatsoever on whether or not the head coach should be English speaking or not. I feel like that's that's specifically catering toward eliminating candidates that are super qualified, and I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice, right? As an organization, if you're eliminating those people especially in the day of technology and the fact that you have money to hire additional people. It's not like this position has ever been English speaking only. It seems like a weird standard, um, especially from an international perspective. However, if that's kind of what you want to do, okay. Like, all right. From a environment standpoint, you know, you all want to live together in Chicago. Okay. My big issue here is that whoever they hire needs to also be Spanish speaking, needs to have multiple languages that they can communicate in. Because the idea that 
this person that that we only have English speaking players is uh, is such a fallacy. I mean, how many German uh, uh, men from the German national team have we kind of picked up over the years? Jermaine Jones, obviously, Fabian uh, Johnson, both stand out as two players. But I mean, who's going to you know go out there and with people that have ties to the United States that want to represent the United States, we have to have a coach that's going to be able to um, reach out to them and, and speak to them on their level. And not to specifically say, you know, a Spanish speaking head coach is going to be able to, you know, go out to the next Aaron Johansson. But I feel like having someone that's bilingual at least encourages that diversity. And, and so I, I do, I think it's a complete misstep that to, uh, Tasan Martino wasn't even considered for this position. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of blown away at it by just kind of tossing it aside. Um, what, what are your thoughts, man? I guess I would say that, I guess what I would say is that I don't think, I don't care about languages that much. Like it's nice. It is a nice bonus. It's like any other kind of thing where like, Oh, if you do speak two languages, that's cool. But I'm not going to throw out any qualified candidate based on that. And especially because like you said, like, first of all, like soccer players speak a lot of languages. <laughs> like This is, they, they live and they work and they've been growing up in a game with, with a lot of international flavor, with a lot of like international community. Um, so it's not crazy that somebody has picked up a little bit of Spanish here, a little bit of English there, uh, or, 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 you know, vice versa. I, I, it just seems like you're you're really throwing the baby out with the bathwater if you're just trying to make this this thing like you're just throwing away so many qualified candidates based on this one thing that is an easily overcomable, I think, uh, issue, which is just you know translators like players kind of translate for each other like it. it, it anyway, um, I don't know. I I, I don't know if if Tata Martino was the, the best coach for this job, I, I mean, I don't know if he, how seriously he was considered. Like he does speak English. Like he gives interviews. Does he not? Am I, am I missing something? Like, are they just saying he's not fluent enough? I, 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 I don't, I don't know how, I don't know um, what his grasp is of the English language. And to be perfectly honest, why are we even talking about it? Like that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the care. frustrating. That's, yeah, yeah. I like, I, I don't know what Greg Vanny, uh, whether or not Greg Vanny speaks any, I know he's American, so I would presume he, you know, knows English of some kind, but, uh, and cause I've seen him in interviews, I guess. Also, I don't know what other languages he speaks. And to be perfectly honest, why hasn't that ever been questioned? You know, um, it just it just feels it feels stupid and petty and it, it something that's easily overcome um, it, it, as far as that dynamic, but uh, I mean it, all right so let's say we're 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 limiting the queue down right that that grand pool of you know all any the coach, qualified soccer all the qualified managers. coaches in the world down to there only, were, only there coaches were like, that speak English there were like eighty and now there are nine so good job. Um, there's so yes. much more than nine. Like, you know, there, there's that graphic that came up. There are so many, like, uh, you know, Scalotto wasn't even on that list. Like, why isn't he on? The, David Wagner wasn't on that list. Eric Wijnaldo wasn't on that list. <laughs> well, he just, he did just sign a contract. So, well, I mean, he got appointed. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm tired of this and I want this. I don't care who it is at this point. I just want it over with. Um, uh, none of the, 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 I don't feel like any of these candidates excite me. The ones that are being talked about right now with any kind of seriousness. Um, 
the only one I'd really like is Jesse Marsh, but I don't think that he's going to do that because I think he's got a really good job in Europe right now. I think he should do that, and I think he, he will do that. Um, other than that, like, what are we talking, Berhalter? Yeah, that seems to be – and the, the frustrating part is – you know, everybody's pointed out, oh, he's at the bottom of the goal differential for all these coaches. You know, Peter Vermees has so much higher goal differential. Greg Vanny has so many more wins. Greg Vanny was, and with all due respect, got really limited results with that bloody big deal team. And yeah, he had an injection of talent, but he also, and I will bang on this freaking drum until, you know, I I come home. They, they hired a couple assistant coaches uh robin fraser came in in 2015 along with this injection of talent and oh by the way might have squared some things away and look i don't want to say like i'm sure gray vanny is a great i've seen how he deals with giovinko they've shown some really cool videos i think he's a really good man manager i don't know how good of a tactician he is because obviously we often as fans and uh, from the outside of the organization, a lot of times we don't see all those things. And it's hard to parse from an outside perspective where a coach is telling a player, hey, do this, do that. We A lot of times we don't know. Um, I, I, I have some reservations about him. I have some re- reservations about Brian Schmetzer. Like, okay, he's the third most successful coach over two years. Yeah. I don't think he's a serious candidate. <laughs> it's like, like at all. I, I have not heard his name on anybody's radar. I, I, I think the point that I saw on a couple different people's was like, why isn't he? If Burhalter is being being considered, why not Schmetzer? Because Schmetzer has a better better record. Look, Schmetzer is a really good man manager. Um, he's not a tactician. Oscar Pereja has been beaten multiple times in the playoffs because of his tactical choices. Yeah, I, I, I think just, the parade had trained like that. Like, if this were like two years ago, that would be like the front runner for this job. But I think people have sort of cooled on Oscar Pereja a bit. Uh, I really feel like this is like going into the store. Your mom gave you fifteen dollars for your allowance, right? And you know exactly what you want to buy. And then when you get there, they are all out of it. And what you have to do is you have to make the best of a bad decision. And not to say that this is a bad decision and that Burhalter is a bad decision. I, yeah, he might not be the most, the best candidate out there, right? Obviously, Jesse Marsh is a great opportunity. I think Bob Bradley would actually be an interesting choice. I don't think that that's really on the table, but I think he would. I think he would be a really good coach for this team. I, again, I don't even know if Tata Martino would be the best fit right now for where this team's at. I don't know that. Um, but I think that you can look at Greg Berhalter, say, look at the system, right? And and this is, a lot of things have been kind of booted and, you know, uh, miss, just, it just feels bamboozled. Like this whole thing just feels like it's been flubbed from the start. And the one thing though, that stands out that was said the other day, um, that I really like was they're trying to use data to determine where they want to go with the next coach. And that sounds, you know, really high arching and, oh, they're using data. How you might use data to identify your coach is say, hey, what type of formations has he gone with? What type of pressing has have they done in the last, you know, last two years? What type of personnel are he is he deploying? What does he gravitate to? 
these are things that we can at least identify. We can look at uh, lineup decisions. We can look at, you know, substitution patterns. You know, we can look at some of these things and in a much larger data pool, kind of come to some conclusions on whether or not they're good at those things. Yeah. It's, um, I, I, I hope that that's kind of what they're doing with this. And it gives me some hope knowing some of the people that are down there. Yeah. I guess what I'd say is, it, for me, it's just like, I mean, it's going to be Burhalter, I guess. Like, I don't think any of these other names are very serious at this point. And the only one I keep hearing is Burhalter, and it seems to be that's the way that, I don't know how to categorize it, but soccer hipsters in this country are kind of leaning towards this idea that it's going to be Greg Burhalter. And the Greg Burhalter is amazing because it's Greg Burhalter. And look what he's done with the Columbus crew and Giazzi's artists and... I think he's a good coach. It's just, it's like, I'm trying to think of a good analogy for it because I don't have quite the right. It's just like going abroad to a foreign country and deciding to eat at Subway. Like, it'll work. And it could be a really good sub. It could be the steak and cheese one, the expensive one. It could be the best one they've got. But it's still like, why didn't you try any of the other things that are out there? Like, you just, you got the safe thing. And like it, it's, that's what this is. So, like, it's okay, but it's not something that's going to, like, make me like super excited about the future of the program. Yeah. Um, look, you know how I feel about Burhalter. I, I, I like him immensely. I think he's a really forward thinking guy. He talks about advanced data uh, metrics. He's, he's casually like he talks expected goals really well and not just like from a broadcaster, like just mentioning it. He understands uh, a lot of different aspects of it and he actively employs it. And on such a short, uh, they don't have a lot of people in that front office. And I, I get the feeling, and just from people that have kind of made mention to me, I feel like he's very uh, involved in that stuff. And that, that knowing that we're going to appoint, put a manager into place that is that leans on those things, that understands some of those things, I feel like it at least will drive some, some opportunities forward. Um, so that I, I, I'm definitely a little biased in this, but uh, I, I, I'm definitely okay with Greg Berhalter uh, being as a coach. As you said, it's, it's a, it is like going to Subway. That is a perfect analogy, uh, going to Italy and getting a sub from Subway. It, it really is. It's fine. Maybe that's what we need. I don't know. Um, we'll find out as this undevelops over, I'm sure, the next five months. It'll take forever like it usually does. Um, as you can see, I'm I'm somewhat uh, <laughs> somewhat disgruntled with the United States soccer program at this moment. Uh, I, I didn't watch either of the games. Yeah, let's uh, let's shift gears here. Uh, while I long for Jesse Marsh, uh, and let's go back to uh, MLS award ballots are here. Harrison, we alluded to them at the beginning of the show that teams have nominated their players for these awards. Um, some interesting races here, I think. Some, some, but but not really because I think they're all pretty cut and dry at this point. Um, yeah, uh, I, I would I would agree with you. MVP, obviously, uh, that's going to be Joseph Martinez. I know that there's been a late push for Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who, as good as he's been, is simply sorry. That's just that's not going to happen. It it should be Joseph. It will be Joseph, uh, unless you have anything else to add to that. The only thing that I would say is Almiron is a really interesting second option, um, but that's. I, I think he 
he does so much more off the ball than what Martinez does, and he does so much more on the ball. Um, I don't want to minimize what Joseph's impact has been in scoring, but at the same time, uh, Almiron touches the ball a lot for one of the top attacking teams. So that's that would that would be the only caveat to that. Uh, that being said, if I were to cast a, if I had a ballot, I would cast it as Martinez. Wow. I do have a ballot. I'm going to cast it as Martinez. Um, <laughs> Defender of the year. This was a little interesting. Um, I've heard a lot of talk about uh, Michael Parkhurst, uh, a lot of talk about Chad Marshall, about Aaron Long. Um, I think they'll probably give it to Michael Parkhurst, won't they? That just seems like what they're going to do. <sighs> yeah, I, 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 I want to hold out hope. Uh, honestly, uh I like Aaron Long. Uh, I would like to see it to go to Chad Marshall. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, look, Parkhurst has been fine. He's a really, really underrated uh, elements of his game outside of just defending and positioning. It's really good. He's an aged Matt Beasler, uh, if I'm being unkind, um, comparing him to somebody that he probably helped influence and paved the way for. Um, but Parkhurst kind of was thought to be uh, done, uh, what, two years ago. And, you know, for him to continue on and continue to be uh, impactful, I mean, this is it, just to be in this uh, in this breadth is, is pretty, uh, pretty awesome, uh, I, I think. And I think it's um, I think it's speaks to what Atlanta has been able to do with that organization as a whole. Yeah. Um, one thing we, we kicked around a lot and I ended up settling on for uh, my column this week was Graham ZZ. <laughs> yeah, and I, as you should. I, I started should. off. I started off just like completely blowing him off. He's like, "Oh, he's an outside back. No one cares." And then you're like, "No, but he's really good. You should look at his numbers." And like, it really should Dude, be. Dude, just Z. tell the story like it. Tell the story like it. Like it really happened. You told everyone no Graham Zuzi, and everyone in Slack jumped on you. So I got I got in there and I looked at his numbers and it really like. It, it absolutely should be Graham since he should be defender of the year. Like it, 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 he won't be because he's not a center back and because, you know, a lot of his game isn't going forward, which I think is part of being a defender now. I think that that is part and parcel of the job at this point in, in this, in this time of soccer in our lives that like even center backs are expected to be able to pass the ball and move the ball. And everybody wants a ball playing center back. And that's one of the things people like about Parkhurst too, is this build up. Yeah. Yes. So, so I don't know why we ignore it when it comes to outside backs. Graham Zuzi, he tackles, he intercepts, he's like an influential playmaking right back and for a very, very good team that's been very, very successful. Um, and, and he should far and away be Defender of the Year. Uh, if you'd like to read more about that, visit www.americansocceranalysis.com. Uh, he will not. Let's just nip that in the butt as it is. He will get my vote and uh, maybe that will be the only vote he gets. We'll see. Um, goalkeeper of the Year is really cut and dry here. That's Stefan Fry, obviously. No one else really, I think, even has a claim to this i don't even know who i'd put second yeah i have no honestly i have no idea who i'd put second either um dang uh maybe bill hamid maybe maybe Which, yeah short uh, time well tyler time. miller you know what uh goats on parade did a did an interesting run-up on tyler miller that was um it, it was definitely biased and favored but it pointed out some some good points um you know, Tim Melia is probably there as well. I know he's not necessarily been a Tim Melia. He's been over the last two years, but I mean, he's had an amazing streak and run. Uh, so uh, Robles always there. People really like Stefan, but I mean, it's Stefan Fry. Stephen, so. Yeah, Stefan. No, 
Stefan's yeah. overrated. Zach Stefan, but it's Stefan Fry, so like we can not worry about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, rookie of the year is Coy Baird. Again, I don't really see how anyone else even can claim that. Um, you know, Kim Mueller uh, has certainly played a lot and been pretty good for Orlando, but but Coy Baird, I think, has been the pretty clear winner in that category. Um, and newcomer of the year, I think, is pretty obviously going to be uh, Zlatan, since he will not be getting the MVP. I promise you, people. I promise you. Um, so yeah, those are those are our takes on the award ballots thing. I think, like I said, I think mostly this year it's pretty cut and dry. No, I, I agreed. Yeah, I, I have nothing to add on that. <laughs> All right, I don't know. Kristen Panilla was uh, nominated for MVP. You sure you don't want to do that? You know, he has an interesting. If it wasn't. Well, Darwin Quintero also would be newcomer of the year. Rod Fanny was nominated for Defender of the Year. That's a real <laughs> honor. All right, let's move on. Uh, playoff deep dive time. It's our favorite time of the year, the almost postseason time. Um, we're going to start on the East Coast this week, and we've talked a little bit about Greg Berhalter already, so it makes sense that we should just go ahead and start with the Columbus Crew, who are saved probably, most likely. I think it's done in all but. Dotting the I's and crossing the T's. I somehow almost got that <laughs> that analogy backwards. <laughs> uh, they're currently uh, ranked fourth place, uh, 53 points out of 32 games played. Their playoff seeding chance is 99%. Very good. Uh, 29% chance at the fourth seed, 54% chance at the five seed, and we have them at a 16% chance for the sixth seed. Uh, there's a 29% chance. Uh, that they'll host a knockout round playoff game. So uh, probably not there. Uh, two games left, very good games. Uh, away to Orlando, which is like being home to literally anybody else. And uh, they get to host Minnesota, which isn't going to be too tough for them either. Uh, I expect them to probably win those out. Um, all right, Harrison. We're talking Greg Berhalter here. We're talking yes. the Columbus crew. This he, is he's a, so many formations. This is a one-system man. Yeah. Uh when I say the Columbus Crew, what do you think of? Describe that system to me. Four, two, three, one. Um, attacking wing backs. Um, sometimes you have Arder drop into a three uh, center back role, or you know he kind of runs all over. So maybe Will Trap kind of runs, uh, drops into that uh, between the two uh, center backs. Um, you know you're going to have your striker is going to touch the ball as least. Uh, as as few as touches as possible. The only time he's touching the ball is basically to to shoot it. Um, and then you know your your will trap is going to control the possession game. Tons and tons and tons of pre- possession from him. He's going to spray it out wide to the wingers, um, and they're going to lead the attack through uh, through Federico Iguain, um control in the middle. So. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I that's in my mind's eye. These are the things that are kind of going on when I think of Columbus. And I know Elliot probably has a lot of <laughs> things that he'd have to to say about this. Yeah, he's mentioned, and I agree with him that Berhalter is very good at um, you know it's it's the same basic uh, uh, painting, but you know you can adjust some of the colors here and there. Um, you know, to, to suit the mood. And uh, I do think Berhalter is, is good at that. Uh, Columbus, I think, have been a very... Um, well, it's been a hard year. Let's acknowledge that. It's been, it's been a, a complicated season. Um, certainly, uh, when your franchise is kind of up in the air about where it's going to be next season, if it's going to even exist. Um, 
you know, I, I, it's hard to say what kind of effect that has to the boots on the ground, but uh, I can't imagine it's nothing. Um, I know soccer players are generally pretty used to the idea that, you know, they're going to move around some in their career, but uh, a relocation like that for some of these guys would probably be uh, very difficult. So, um, you know, he's accomplished what he's accomplished uh, while going through that, and uh, I think that that is, is worthy of acknowledgement and credit. Um, but that being said, uh, this isn't a team that has just gone out and blown the doors off of anybody, really. Well, okay, so you, you talked about the off-the-field stuff. The off-the-field stuff has greatly impacted on-the-field stuff, and not in the way that we all think, right? Um, they spent half the season without Justin Miram because Justin Miram couldn't handle what was all happening, so they traded him. They spent half the season... They, they basically loaned out Justin Miram to uh, Orlando City, which he quickly found out was much worse. Um, came back, and he, he's been, uh, I don't want to say fantastic, but he's been really good in his time back. But then they have one of the best uh, creation, shot creation attackers in MLS, Ola Kamara, request a trade as well who basically forced himself into the la galaxy plans and it's not like they got with all due respect to zardes they did not get an equal piece back no cer- certainly not certainly not Ola Kamara is a very i think he probably might be wondering if he did the right thing too as it turned out because he got shunted out on the wing in favor of zlatan ibrahimovic who i'm not sure he had any idea they were planning on bringing that guy in either uh when he was so so desperate to force that move. Uh, I don't know like how much like the, 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 the relocation played into those moves. Like it, 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 I it very well could have, like, I honestly just have no idea, but that, that's an interesting. My thought. understanding yeah. is that Miram, uh, that, that, that definitely played a part in the Miram decision. Um, I don't know for a fact that it did for Ola, but my understanding was that that was also, uh, both of those things impacted Ola's decision as well. So want to move away. So, I mean, it's not very frequently frequent, at least in MLS, that we see players uh, move themselves away. But regardless, for consecutive seasons, Greg Berhalter has been faced with that decision, and he's—or well, I shouldn't say consecutive seasons. This is the third time now, two and three, that he's had that, and he's made it work. And he's not always got something in return that was of equal value, but he still made it work, right? He basically got nothing back for Kai Kamara, um, got a little bit of cap space, uh, which, you know, they turned into Milton uh, Valenzuela. So it, it worked out really well in that capacity. Um, but, you know, they had to go basically a year with not spending that money. They, they kind of had to plan things around because in Columbus, it's not like they have that money like you have in Atlanta. It's not like the LAFC money. It's not the Seattle or Toronto money. This is money that, you know, they have to be very planned and very, um, very certain with each move they're making. So I think it's a credit. Uh, to Berhalter, what he's what he's using and how he's m- rearranged chess pieces to to kind of fit um, what they do. It, it's he hasn't ne- he brought in Zardes and basically took this guy who had been playing this at that same position the last two years and somehow changed him. 
And I don't know if he basically said, don't be afraid to shoot, or if he sat down and said, hey, this is what you've been doing wrong when you shoot. Because he hasn't given him a better touch. He hasn't made him a supreme passer. What he's done is limit the amount of touches that Zardes has and put it to where when Zardes touches the ball, he's directly in the attacking third or in the 18. He's limited the impact Zardes can have. Whereas last year for LA, um, Zardes is, is moving further and further away from goal. He's picking up the ball in the midfield, in the central midfield. He's doing it on the wings. He's, do, you know, he's doing it in the defensive third sometimes because he's a right back. Like, what? And so Burhalter took this piece that obviously had a lot of physical attributes. He made it work for the system. And I think that that's very, very much how he's utilized his system over the last few years. Uh, Justin Miram has was a central midfielder, and he's he's helped him move out wide. He did the same thing with Ethan Finley. Ethan Finley wasn't a he was a striker. Um, you know, he I, I think he was kind of an undersized nine, and he moved him out to the wings. So there's lots of stuff that um, that he's done, and he's maneuvered through the different. Um, the different ways to acquire talent in MLS. And so, yeah, I, I really like this lineup. I think that it's got some pluses. And, yeah, they haven't blown the door off like they should. But the other side of it is they've also been really strong defensively. Yeah, uh, let's go ahead and, like, we'll break down some of their, their yearly stats here. Uh, overall possession at 52%. Um, their expected passing force, third major league soccer. Uh, their expected passing against is fifth. Uh, their XG4 is 11th best in Major League Soccer. And here's the big one. Uh, expected goals against 33 is the best in Major League Soccer. Um, expected goal difference is 14. That's good enough for fifth in Major League Soccer. So um, definitely, this is a team that has a great defensive foundation. And they've gotten it through Jonathan Mensa, who was, I think if you'd asked any Columbus fan, uh, you know, in the offseason, if they were looking forward to having Jonathan Mensa back and anchoring the back line, they would have said, oh, no, 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 no. But but he's really kind of so settled there um, next to Lalas Abubakar, who was uh, an excellent rookie last year. Um, or, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's he's also, like, settled well. And, and uh, yeah, it, it's definitely one of the brighter uh, back fours in, in the league right now. Yeah, and not only that, but, you know, they had so many question marks on that back line, right? That was that. I don't want to say it was atrocious last year, but it definitely stood out as uh, Harrison Awful was not good last year. They had a rotating left back uh, issue, and then they've had multiple injuries there at center back. So um, Josh Williams kind of has stepped up again this season. He uh, he really came on strong to end the year last year. Has still stay uh, played pretty well this season, I think, as a whole. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think also uh, Artur is a kind of uh, often under um, mentioned. I think he's appreciated by those that are aware of him. Uh, you know, kind of uh, a defensive midfield presence there as well. Yeah, he's a, he's another one of those guys. And we talked about this earlier in the season, how that position's kind of uh, just evolved. And you mentioned it earlier with everybody wanting this, uh, you know, uh, center back that can handle the ball and, you know, do, you know, be really strong in the passing game. And that's one thing that uh, Artur does, you know, he, he, he seems to be very confident on the ball, despite being kind of, uh, I, 
I don't want to call him a destroyer because he's really not, but he he's definitely defensive uh, event oriented, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, you know, uh, the other thing I think about this year that that uh, the other narratives from Columbus this year that I, I kind of think about a lot are when uh, 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 Higayin I think has. Um, kind of had a, a renaissance this year a bit. I think he's he's come back into form and been like a very, very good player. Um, and that's something that I think Columbus can't rely on again, uh, happening again. You know, he, he may have another year left in him, but but probably not too. And uh, that's going to be a very, very hard uh, thing for them to replace when that time comes. Um, yeah. Uh, the other thing is uh, Will Trapp, uh, who has... <laughs> I guess, based on what I've been reading, I guess he's not impressed too much um, as a U.S. men's national team captain. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, this is still, I think, one of my favorite uh, talents in the league. So um, Columbus has a very good core in that sense, I believe. I believe that like that spine is, is, is excellent. Um, it's just not always consistent. Yeah, and like that i think that just how they're kind of like a less they're the value buy version of atlanta <laughs> okay all right i mean, I mean think about it they really yeah. kind of are um pedro santos justin miram zardes Iguain, they're kind of uh that um you know barco uh you know joseph almiron um Tito of uh, Yaba, they, yeah. they're kind of in that all, same vein, but at a discount. And I don't mean that as a negative, right? I, I'm going to turn this here for a second and say the reason why they, they seem inconsistent sometimes is because teams have them figured out. And unlike Atlanta having the ability to kind of just have the talent to just push through being figured out, right? Sometimes Joseph Martinez can just will through it oh yeah Jesse Zardes yeah, doesn't yeah. have that same oh. he doesn't have that next gear that joseph martinez has so i think sometimes uh when teams just are executing on them and executing the game plan that they need to to win columbus just doesn't have that preventive measure yeah we call it uh, uh, atlanta can brute force the lock <laughs> like they don't have to pick it uh, they, eventually they can just smash it with a sledgehammer and columbus don't have that tool um yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that's an apt an apt uh, description of them. So, um, all right, let's look at the, their their team leaders here. Um, top expected goals, obviously, Giassi uh, Zardes, fifteen point two expected goals. That's third MLS. That's that's a really good return for that man. Um, top expected assists is uh, again uh, Federico Higain, seven point seven. That's ninth in MLS. Uh, top expected buildup is Artur, thirteenth in MLS, and best expected passer is uh, obviously Will Trap. Eleventh um, in MLS, so uh, a lot of individual talent there. I, I think people. Hmm, I don't know how best to say this. I think people somehow uh, don't appreciate like they like what what you said is true that they are kind of like a more bargain basement version of a of a of a bright attacking team. Um, they have excellent players. <laughs> they really do have very very good players on this team. No, yeah, I mean the. the... Their 11 is about as strong as Atlanta's. Uh, it really is. Um, really, they just miss, they, they just don't have that, yeah, that break the lock beast mode uh, next year. So uh, 
I think they do amazing stuff with what they have and what they're competing against. Um, I think that there is some definite holes at times, um, and they have to they have to kind of be on their game uh, every night. And I think that's kind of you know they lost to Montreal three nothing on the road, um, which it, it's on the road it's MLS that that happens. The big thing was that they drew against Houston uh, a, a week ago um, or two weeks ago, right after Houston, um, or excuse me, not Houston, Philadelphia, uh, right after they Philadelphia had lost that game uh, in Houston for the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, it was a chance to really get in and jump leapfrog over um, Philadelphia and, and host uh, that knockout round game. And they, they dropped the ball and that's, <laughs> you, you can't do that. You have to have, you have to have that, that bite. And uh, you know, sometimes that definitely goes missing on this team. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go ahead and do the best part of the breakdown. Harrison, give me one reason why the Columbus crew will not make it to the MLS cup final. I've kind of alluded to it already, inconsistency. I mean, it, this team is a team that you said it yourself. Um, th- th- sometimes they're just inconsistent. Yeah, they're, in, they're, they're, they're consistently inconsistent. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really can't think of a better reason other than that, too. They just don't show up some games, and if one of those games happens to be a playoff game, that's not going to work for them. Um, yeah, I, I would agree that that's that. But, like, uh, let's... Let's have some optimism. The crew are safe now. Give me one reason why they will make. All right. So I'm not saying this just to be that guy or to um, <laughs> to stir the pot. It's Greg Berhalter. Um, look, in MLS, MLS is changing. And the better coaches are going to impact these games. And I'm not saying Greg Berhalter is the best coach in uh, the best coach out in the Eastern conference. Um, he's probably not even in the top two, but here's the thing. He's going to get more out of this team. And when he gets, you know, Iguain, Miram, Zardes firing, and it, God help them if they can squeeze a little bit out of the dead corpse they're running out with Pedro Santos. Um, they, man, they, they could really just run some games and that defense is so strong right now. This is the strongest, uh, great Burhalter defense that has ever been seen. Um, you, I swear. Do you know what I have written down here for my answer? Uh, for this is the resurrection of Pedro Santos. What if Pedro Santos came to life all of a sudden? Just came alive and just like grabbed the team and just scored like a hat trick in every game. Like it just seems like such a fitting narrative end to this Columbus Crew season. Um, uh, one more uh, last minute savior. Um, I think that would be hilarious. I don't know if that'll happen. If they do make MLS Cup, it will be because they are disciplined. It'll be because they manage these kinds of games. It'll just be because um, they are the best that they can be, and and when they're that, they they can beat any team out there. So. Um, not my not my number one pick for the for the final, but but um, you know I feel like it's a broken record. I say it every time, it's anybody's game out there still. So um, certainly one we'll be uh, excitedly watching uh, as the postseason develops. But um, all right, we've got to move on to the Western Conference. Seattle Sounders currently ranked fifth place, forty eight points, thirty two games played. They clinched a playoff spot last night at Orlando. Uh, they have a uh, eighteen. I, I wrote that down wrong. It's not fifth place. They're fourth place. They moved up. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I was wondering because they, they played last night. They probably didn't have the data. Do they have yeah. 48 points still or is it 51? They're at 52. I, I, th- this, yeah, this is copied from uh, – because I'm a schmo. Um, uh-huh. This is this is actually uh, Columbus's information. So they're, they're in fourth place. They're on 52 points. They're 32 games in. Okay. Uh, very good. Sorry. Uh, number are these seedings correct? Then these look. Okay. They they are correct. Yeah. yeah. Number three seed, eighteen percent chance. Number four seed, a forty-two percent chance. Number five seed, thirty-seven percent chance, a three percent chance of number six. There's a sixty percent chance they host a playoff knockout round. That's a big big thing. Uh, they have two games left. Um, away to Houston and home to San Jose. Both those very winnable games. Um. Okay, let's talk Brian Schmetzer's Seattle Sounders. Um, certainly a man that favors the 4-2-3-1, but isn't afraid to tinker a bit. Um, when I say the Seattle Sounders Football Club Harrison, w- 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 describe to me what you think. Uh, they love their clean sheets. Brian Schmetzer talks a lot about clean sheets, and they're a defensive as much as everyone kind of thinks of, you know, Clint Dempsey, Freddie Montero, these uh, attacking uh, type players, the Obafemi Martin era, um, this is a defensive team. It, it, they, they pride themselves on defense. Now, it doesn't come out necessarily in statistics. Um, the underlying numbers aren't necessarily favorable to them. Um, but they are a much now that they have Kim Kihi and Chad Marshall paired together, that seems to have really solidified things. And I, I want to be positive. I'm trying to find positive things to say about the Sounders because largely I their underlying numbers, to me, feel it feels like a house of cards right now. They let off a lot of shots. So in past, they've limited their shots. They've limited... Uh, high leverage opportunities. They're allowing a lot of, a lot of high leverage opportunities, and I don't know if that's because they're miscommunicating certain situations um, between Kihi and and Chad Marshall. Those aren't coming to fruition, largely because Stefan Fry is a magician, and secretly can make the ball reappear somewhere that's not going into his net. Um, you know, it, it's spectacular. Um, but with that, he's super flexible. Brian Schmetzer can, uh, has no problem, especially with, you know, Christian Roldan, Nicholas Ladero, uh, Victor Rodriguez. It, he's played these guys pretty much anywhere. Uh, uh, Gustav Svensson has played all over the field. Um, he's pretty flexible. And, and he doesn't. He trusts his players to, when he puts them in positions that uh, they're p- being utilized to accentuate a specific strength uh, rather than a weakness. And you know, uh, he's definitely one of those guys that uh, he he might get out out uh, maneuvered when it comes to tactics, but he absolutely loves his guys. His guys absolutely love him, and uh, you know. There's something to be said for that. There's something to say for play, playing and working for someone that you feel strongly for and for someone that motivates you. And he definitely motivates that, that lineup, that roster. Um, it just, you can feel that um, from the outside. And man, I, I feel like there's things that should be changing, 
you should start seeing stuff with raw Rue ideas. You should start seeing stuff. And the underlying numbers haven't quite shown anything just yet. But uh, from an eye perspective, they seem better. Ian, what do you? I, I know I'm all over the place, but all right, that's... let's let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and talk about these numbers because these are going to be the big talking points today for us. <clears throat> Possession, fifty percent. That's average. Um, expected passing for fourteenth in Major League Soccer. Expected passing against tenth in Major League Soccer. Expected goals for forty point two nineteenth in Major League Soccer. Expected goals against forty seven point six twelfth best in Major League Soccer. Expected goal difference seven point four fifteenth in Major League Soccer. But this is a team, Harrison. That is good. And we know that this is a team that is good. And this is a team that anybody would say, like, has a, just as good of a chance as anybody else to go all the way this year again. Um, they've been the two MLS Cup finals in a row. These numbers look crazy to me. Like, I can't believe them when I see them. Like, I think there has to be something wrong with them. Because we even talked about Fry is a runaway goalkeeper of the year. Chad Marshall is a very high candidate for defender of the year. Um, I think if we got into deep, deep analytics, we could make a case for Lodero being like a, a, an end of season award kind of guy as well. Um, they've got, uh, an exciting new striker. They've got, uh, a great midfield, like, uh, Svensson and Alonso, like Alonso's kind of back and healthy and, and playing like he used to, um, you know, Roldan's moved out wide and he still seems to be a very good player there. Uh, Kelvin Leardam is like a quiet, but really good right back. Kim Kihi has been one of the better signings in the league this year. If you ask me, I, this is one of those situations where I just can't explain these numbers and it really bothers me. Um, and I think it bothers you too. Uh, this is like Piatti for me, like the same thing. Like I look at the numbers and I think about what I see in my head and they just don't add up. Okay. So I've never said Piatti's bad, but let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> Piotti's good. He's just, I don't feel like he's top tier elite. And that's, and that's where we have the disagreement. The sounders, the sounders look like uh, by the eye test, they look good, but the numbers say they're bad. And, and I've cut this, I've sliced the data up multiple different ways. Um, I've looked at it from the start of the, their quote unquote turnaround. I've cut it up by months. I've cut it up. Look, there is not a good way to maneuver the data and try to position it in such a way that you can come off from a narrative standpoint and say, this team is one that will dominate you and will go to the next level come playoff time. There is nothing. But they do. Yeah, they do. And that's, that's what I don't understand. I don't like this irritates me. Like uh, in the past, right? I could explain, you could see in, in 2015, 26, uh, what was it? 2016, 2017, you could see a marked improvement. The teams changed. Statistics, underlying numbers changed. Personnel decisions, you could see the substitution patterns. You could see the different things that they were doing would come out in the data and you could explain it and say, oh, this makes sense. They get Alonzo back healthy. There's more, there's more defensive, uh, defensive events in specific areas. Oh, and by the way, that also correlates with less shots occurring in those areas. Awesome. Okay. They get Alonzo back this year. Kihi moves back to central defense and Marshall. They look like they've just absolutely formed this enormous green wall. They're still letting in, allowing high leverage opportunities. But the lowest amount of actual goals allowed this year as well. Yes. Um, which we know. And not just that, but then you look at this and you go, okay, 
Victor Rodriguez is now part of this team, and he's amazing all of a sudden. He scored like 10 goals in the last two games. Like, this is just a team that just is baffling to me. And um, it's one that, like, I honestly, like, looking at these numbers, I would be like, this is not a team that's going to be a factor in the playoffs. This is an also-ran team. But I would never make that bet that that they won't. <laughs> like, I would never bet against them going into the the, the way that this uh, – towards the end of the year. Here's the difference, and this is where we have to, like, kind of differentiate between what we're seeing in the numbers and what we know to be true. We know that the Sounders are talented. We know that Victor Rodriguez is a very talented person just looking at his CV. We know Ladero's an impacting player just looking at his time. So, and we can probably estimate and theorize, I would I would imagine, that he's not done, that Victor Rodriguez's uh, injury-related issues are eventually going to clear themselves up because uh, they're not they're not uh, going to consistently have these issues. He's not going to consistently have those issues. It's, it's, it's not, not a, yeah, it's never been a chronic thing for him. Right, and these aren't necessarily uh, chronic-related injuries, right? So it's, it's not going to breed a pattern in the future based off of what's happening, or at least that's not probable anyways. And, you know, you can say that, and you can look at that, and you have to differentiate and say, okay, well, so we know that the talent level for this team is really high, even though the numbers aren't there. And I think that at a certain point in time, we have to be able to say, okay, well, the numbers aren't right. And here's the other side of the coin, right? We know that shots are taking place. We don't necessarily know how much of that shot is being blocked. You know, maybe that defense is forcing uh, bad positioning. So while on the map it says, hey, this is where the shot took place, Maybe they're just grazing the ball. Maybe that there's so much defensive pressure, and we have seen the Sounders employ a little bit more defensive pressure in in different points of the game. That maybe that's also affecting cer- certain shots. Uh, maybe they're influencing different things that we can't necessarily parse from the data. So I I, I definitely have theories, um, but you know I've talked to other people, and they're equally confounded. I, there's some people that have their own theories that aren't necessarily, in my opinion, rooted uh, within uh, evidence, um, fact-based evidence. But, I mean, at this point in time, fact-based evidence doesn't make sense. So, whatever. <laughs> One of the things uh, I do like that I see Marshall do a lot in particular, and I, I only noticed this. Uh, so, this is complete confirmation bias. I don't have any numbers on this. There definitely isn't any way to track numbers uh but because it's something i used to do in uh the old football manager game a lot is uh chad marshall's really good at showing attackers onto their weak foot maybe there's some explanation there too um there uh yeah i don't know what to say i i agree with you like i look at this lineup that's just sitting here i'm like this is one of the best teams in mls just talent wise like i would pick very few teams over like this lineup just in a vacuum um I, I don't think that – here's what's kind of interesting, though, is I don't think any of them – or at least – so let's look at, like, uh, the game against Colorado. The home win, 4 nothing. You have a starting lineup of Fry, then Leardam, Kim Kihi, Chad Marshall, uh, and then Tulo, which, okay, that, those are all natural positions. But in the attack, you have Christian Roldan, Ladero, Rodriguez – None of those guys are wide players. None of them are necessarily naturally. Um, and I know Ladero is can be attacking. He's really not. He is he is the most true ten I think I've actually ever seen. 
Yeah, he just um, plays out wide sometimes. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, because he, he understands he needs to drift out wide to get the ball and to hold possession sometimes because of the way MLS works. He's incredibly smart, and I love Ladero. I think Ladero is flat out one of the top five players talent-wise in this league. And I think that he's probably one of the most impacting players as far, as far as what he means to the individual team. But this is not like, I feel like they're playing, it's like Svensson. I don't think he's a six. He's not an eight. I, I, it's, I feel like they're playing four or five guys out of position at, at any given time. And I, I don't quite understand it, um, but it works. The yeah, I, I agree. I, I I mean it's it's definitely a fluid system, and I think that's one of the things they do well. And it's also one of the reasons why it's really hard to peg what they're good at. Because I wouldn't be like, okay, well they're a great team at limiting shots. They're not like okay, well they're a great team at counterattacking. Well they're not like okay, well they're like a great team at unlocking defenses. Like not really. Like oh, I, they're just they're good at. I don't know what they're good at. They're good at something, and it might just be soccer. They might just be good at winning soccer games. Well, yeah, they're not good at possession. They're they're not teams that they're yeah. Like I, I don't know. Uh, they're not good at creating shots. It's not like they're sporting Kansas City to where it said they say, "Hey, this year we're gonna take what you give us and we're gonna create a bunch of low leverage chances and try to you know flip that and find high leverage chances once you guys start taking that away." They don't do that. They, they, they just pretty much, they want the highest opportunity shot and they're content to pretty much wait around all game until they get it. Yeah. And they, and they're got... not necessarily good at it. <laughs> they don't cross particularly well. Uh, but you know, even considering <laughs> it's just an interesting situation. And so they, but they, they have done all of these things well at certain times and even yeah. many different things well within the space of one game. And maybe that's the secret. Maybe that's their trick. Maybe that's I why will, they're I, able to do this. I don't know. I honestly I will have no say idea. They are really good at ball movement. They've gotten will... better at that. That was not a thing they were good at to start the season though. Well, okay. But to start the season, they had a lot of injuries. Yeah. 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 Um, Having Ladero, having Roldan, having Victor Rodriguez, uh, having even Will Bruin uh, up top rather than Rui Diaz. Rui Diaz is fine, um, but Will Bruin's taking the brunt of the that position. And all four of those players are really good at uh, small touches, small passes, pass and move, and create space. And while it's maybe not like running lanes type space, but they're they're definitely. Um, Again, it's not necessarily possession because I think of possession as you know this grand uh, tactic to kind of create space on one opposite side to you know uh, create an opportunity. They're really good at just moving that ball around in general um, in, sh in short, tight spaces, and I think that that's that's helping them um, th as the season has gone on. Yeah. All right. Individually, uh, top expected goals this season, Nicolas Lodero, 6.9, 40th in Major League Soccer. That's got to be like mostly penalties, too. Um, no, that's stripped. Is is that stripped? Wow. Okay. That's. Hmm. No, no, no. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. Now I'm questioning myself. I don't yeah. know. Uh, top expected goals assisted, Nicolas Lodero, 8.2, 12th in MLS. That makes sense. Uh, top expected buildup, Nicolas Lodero, 24th in MLS. Uh, top expected passer, 
uh, Ozzy Alonso second in MLS. Uh, so, yeah, you know, Ozzy Alonso plays a lot of a lot of good passes. He's a good clean passer of the ball. Um, yeah, mainly though, Ladero like as the offense as Ladero goes, so does the offense. So, um, uh, I don't think that's anything surprising to what we've seen. But uh, let's uh, let's get down to the nitty gritty here, Harrison. Tell me why Seattle will not make MLS Cup. Uh, simply uh, because it was all a damned lie. <laughs> like I have, like I mean, that's that's the only thing that I have. Yeah, like, uh, and I, you you actually said it really well uh, with the uh, with Ladero. Uh, so goes the Sounders. So um, you know, I I generally think that there's just going to be a time um, in this playoff series where just things just don't just stop working. Like sometimes your car just won't start. That's that's I, that's what I'm waiting for. Yeah, I guess I would be the same thing here. That I'm worried that, um, you know, where we saw it was in that game where they went to the Galaxy recently after their win streak. Yeah, that's a good. That, that, that's a that's a pretty good example. And that kind of felt like someone had like looked behind the curtain and we saw the Wizard of Oz was just a dude. I was like, oh, <laughs> like they're gonna hope the teams don't see that. No one else saw that. Um. Yeah, it's kind of like I, your mechanic opening up the hood and be like, "How does this work?" And then it stops working. And then it stops working. Yeah, it's like a Corolla. Um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting uh, situation again, like because we don't really have a lot of great numbers that we feel like can match our eye test that well. Um, I, I don't know what could stop them except for just that they come back down to earth. I think there's obviously been fortunate play, but there's been fortunate play for every soccer team. That's how soccer works. Uh, if there's any reason they don't make it, it's because they don't show up. Because like the the numbers, are, it, it, the numbers team shows up, and not like the eye test team shows up. How about that? Um, all right. Now, more optimistic. One reason why Seattle will make MLS Cup. Yeah, the only way that they do it is if they have David Blaine magic. Um, <laughs> they, basically, it's just uh, you said it best it's whether or not the eye test team comes out whether or not um they're able to just win a game on three shots and look colorado almost won a not won but almost got to the mls cup finals uh a couple years ago hell they actually went uh and won the thing uh back in what 20 uh, 2010 so and, and granted mls is not the product then that it is now but this is this is a team that, and I don't want to be biased when saying this, um, I, I don't believe they're the most talented team, but I think that they have uh, a team that is comparable with any other team in MLS on a talent spectrum, um, and, and not just one through 11, but one all the way down the depth charts. Yeah, um, I guess what I would say is that if there's any reason why they will make it, it will be because it's kind of what they do. They've done it the last two years. They've done it by playing um, their best when their backs are up against the wall. And um, that's what they're going to have to do again. And also the West is kind of mediocre. So <laughs> why not? Um, you know, I, I I don't know if they'd be my first pick to make it. But uh, I, I like I said, alluded to earlier, I certainly wouldn't wager even a dollar that they wouldn't um, because I don't I don't trust it. <laughs> enough to even risk a dollar on uh they're an interesting team uh they are a uh, brilliant team they are a flawed team uh i have no idea what's going to happen going on forth in the playoffs but 
It's MLS, as we keep saying, that broken record. So, um, all right, that's it. We did it. One more week done, Harrison. Who we got up next week? I don't know. We have to take a look because I think it's going to be kind of a uh, preview. We might have a we might have like a, a four different uh, mini uh, preview, um, four different team mini preview with uh, you know Montreal and DC and with uh, RSL and LA Galaxy. We may just kind of uh, do a compressed, uh, you know, quick fire one. Quick fire. I'm really looking forward to talking about DC United. Um. All right. Cool. That's it. We will uh, see you next week. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, as always, as always, I can't say enough how much we appreciate it. Uh, thank you to my co-host, Harrison. You can find him on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. Uh, if you're so inclined, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at a handle for Ian. Uh, please follow uh, American Soccer Analysis. That's at Analysis Evolved. Uh, keeps you up to date on what's being posted on the website, as well as interesting facts and stats and uh, occasional snarky comments. Uh, we've got it all on that thing. You're going to want to follow that Twitter account. And please uh, visit the website, www.americansocceranalysis.com. You can go there right now and read my case on why Graham Zuzzi should be Defender of the Year. Uh, no one's fought me on it yet, and I'm a little bit disappointed. I'm not going to lie, guys. Get in there. Let's do it. Uh, also, always content going up. Uh, we're going to have playoff uh, previews in written form, a little more in-depth that you can read, savor fold up into a piece of paper and stick it in your pocket as a cheat sheet at your MLS playoff party so you can just look and sound smart. Uh, thank you. Uh, once again uh, for listening. We'll be here next week. And until then, enjoy the soccer. Bye.